Scripture reading this evening will come from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 33, verse 27. Deuteronomy 33, verse 27. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you, and will say, Destroy. When you see God for who he really is, it will change you. You cannot see him as he is and be left the way you are. Isaiah was a prophet, a spokesman for God, and when God revealed something of his majesty to Isaiah in chapter six of that book, Isaiah became a much different preacher than he was before. When the apostle Paul, while he was yet Saul of Tarsus, was busy persecuting the church. In Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus, Jesus Christ appeared to him, and it changed his entire life. He beheld the glory of God, as we talked about this morning, and he realized the greatness of his sin, his great need for such a majestic and mighty God. When you and I see God the way that scripture reveals him, it will change everything about us. And I would suggest to you that even though we strive as, as God's people to, to have practical applications and to, and to see where the rubber meets the road, the brass tacks of living the Christian life, I would suggest to you that underlying all of that, whatever application we might make from scripture, there must be a theological realization of who God is and what he's like and what he's all about. Because really, he is the creator of this world. He is the one who designed the New Testament church. He is the one who sent his son to offer salvation for every man that we could have a relationship with him. And so Jeremiah says things like this. Jeremiah says, let not the rich man glory in his riches or the strong man glory in his might. Let not the wise glory in his wisdom, but let those who glory, glory in this, that he knows and understands me, says the Lord. Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. When we talk about the great God that we serve, sometimes people try to categorize his attributes. They strive to, to, to put everything in a, in a neat box, and that's sometimes helpful, but sometimes it can lead us to some false conclusions about things concerning God. But one of the ways people try to talk about the attributes of God is they talk about his communicable and his incommunicable attributes. Communicable, that is, attributes of God that can also be seen in us. God is love, 1 John 4 verse 8, and you and I are supposed to love not only God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but our neighbors ourselves. And so in that sense, an attribute of God, his love, is to be reflected in us. Holiness. Be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Communicable attributes. Things that both God and we share, even though God is perfect in all of his. I want us to talk this evening about four incommunicable attributes of God. That is to say, four aspects of God's nature and his character 
that he doesn't share with us in which he is different from us and we will never be like him in these aspects, in these respects. When we think about who God is, it's gonna make a difference in how we live. Attribute number one this evening, as we think about the God that we serve, I want you to notice that he is eternal in his nature. You and I, even though we will live eternally, we have not existed from eternity past. Therefore, he is different from us. When we talk about the meaning of the eternal nature of God, we could say it this way. You cannot add time to his existence. You can't add time to his existence. If you could get into a time machine and go forward, you would never come to a point in eternity forward where God does not exist. He's never going to cease to exist. And if you could get in a time machine and go backward, you'll never come to a point in the past when God did not exist. That is mind-blowing, and that is something that's impossible for us to fathom because everything else that you know, everything else that you've ever experienced had a beginning. Only God has no beginning. Only God is eternal in both eternity past and eternity future. In Exodus chapter 3, when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, he said, go and talk to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses said, who am I supposed to say has sent me? You remember God's response in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14? You tell Pharaoh and you tell everybody else who asks, I am has sent you. There's something in the tense of that phrase, that expression that God uses to describe himself. He is the eternal I am. Jesus used this exact same expression in John chapter 8 verse 58 when he said, before Abraham was, I am. And so the God that we serve, brothers and sisters and friends, is eternal. He is the great I am. You know, sometimes we struggle with the problems that we face and we struggle with the challenges that we're going through and, and, and God sympathizes and empathizes with us in those. He cares for us in those. But isn't it good, isn't it wonderful to know that the God that we serve, who has no beginning and no end, he is eternal. He's bigger than every problem that you and I could ever face. In Psalm 90, verse 2, Moses wrote this, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We serve an eternal God. Eternal in his nature, as Chip read just a moment ago in Exodus 33 and verse 27. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. John wants us to understand some things about God and about Jesus Christ. He wants us to know that God has no beginning. In fact, in John chapter 1 verse 3, he goes on to say, All things were created through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. If Jesus Christ is the creator of everything, that implies he is eternal. You cannot add time at the front or at the back, he can't add time to his existence. Incommunicable attribute, something that we will never share with God. No beginning and no end.
When we think about the nature of God and what scripture says about him, it really is interesting to stop and fathom many of the things that are said in scripture. In Job 36 verse 26, the number of his years is unsearchable. He has always been. Secondly, this evening, attributes of God worth contemplating, worth thinking about. His independence. Independence. Said another way, he does not need us or the rest of creation for anything. Do not misunderstand me. I am not saying that God does not care about us or his creation. I am not saying that God does not love us or his creation. He does both of those things in abundance. He loves us so much that he gave his son to die for us. John 3 verse 16. He manifested his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 verse 8. But he did not do those things because he needs us. God is independent in that sense. You got your Bible, open it up to John chapter 17 and look at a couple of passages with me. John chapter 17. I have conducted a number of funerals over the years and it's not uncommon to hear people say something like this. Maybe they're trying to offer comfort to the family or maybe they're trying to say something that they think will help and they'll say something like, well, I think God just needed this person who departed and left this world. I think God just needed this person to come and be with him. God is independent. He does not need, he does not depend on us or creation for anything. We need to keep God in a proper perspective. Yes, God loves people, but he does not depend on us. In John 17 verse 5, Jesus is praying and he's talking to his heavenly father and he says, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. One of the things I infer from that passage is this. God did not create us and he did not create this world because he needed more glory. Because somehow we could add anything to him in that sense. Jesus says... Father, we had glory before the world was. And then look, if you would, at John 17, verse 24. We referred to this passage in a recent lesson. Jesus prays, Father, I desire that they whom you gave me may be with me where I am. They may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. So God possessed glory before the world was. And God was love, is love. That's who he is before the world was. And the question is asked, well, well, how does that work? How is it that God, if he was the only entity that existed at some point in the past, how is it that glory and love and righteousness and those kinds of things existed at that point? And the answer is found in the triune nature of God. Jesus is saying in John 17, verse 24, that God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they shared love. Within himself, God possesses that attribute even before the world came into existence. So, he didn't create us because he was lonely. He didn't create us because he needed somebody to talk to. He didn't create us just because he thought that 
he'd have more fun or have a better time if he had somebody to, 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 to visit with. God is independent in that sense. In Acts chapter 17, verse 25, the apostle Paul was talking to the philosophers on Mars Hill. And those philosophers, they were bringing all kinds of sacrifices and offerings to their idols. And they thought that if they didn't do certain things, that their gods weren't going to do certain things. They were always trying to coerce gods. By the way, that's one of the main differences between paganism and Christianity. Paganism tries to coerce the gods. Christianity trusts God to do what he promises. There's a difference. We're not trying to coerce anybody. And Paul argues this in Acts 17, verse 25. He says, he is not worshiped or served with men's hands as though he needed anything since he's the one that gives to all life, breath, and all things. Brothers and sisters and friends, we serve a mighty God and he is independent in the sense that he does not depend on creation he doesn't need air to breathe. He doesn't need water to drink. And he doesn't need anyone in that sense, although he loves all people. He's independent. Next, as we think about incommunicable attributes of the God that we serve, his perfection. His perfection. He's perfect in every way, brothers and sisters and friends. He cannot be improved. How would you improve God? How would you help him? How would you add anything to him? He's perfect in all of his ways. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 11 and look at verses 34 through 36. The Apostle Paul has been writing at length about the gospel plan of salvation. He's been writing about how God has reconciled all things to himself in Jesus Christ and how he's justified the unrighteous and how Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And when Paul gets to the end of Romans chapter 11, having talked about the great promises of God and how he's fulfilled those, Paul bursts into praise. I'm telling you, when you see God for who he is and when you see the mighty things that he's done, it'll change the way you live. And sometimes in an inspired book like this, it's important to pay attention to the praise because the praise is a key to understanding what am I supposed to be learning here? And here's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 11, verse 34. He says, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Or who is first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? In other words, who does God owe for anything? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Who can be the counselor of the Lord? Who can tell him how he ought to respond to a given situation? He's perfect in all of his ways. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 17, Paul says, Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever. God is wise. He always knows what's best. He always understands the situation even better than we do. He's perfect in all of his ways. We can trust a God like that. We can put our confidence in a God like that. We can believe that a God like that has our best interest at heart and is going to work all things together according to the counsel of his will, which is a perfect will. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. We serve a perfect God. You can't improve him. You can't add anything to him through service or through gifts 
or through experience or through counsel or through teaching. You can't do any of those things and improve God in any way. He's perfect. What we need to do as his people is trust him and trust that he knows what's best. Last one this evening, as we think about incommunicable attributes of God, ways in which he is different from us. He is unchanging, the Bible says. He's unchanging. Neither his nature nor his attributes change. The Bible indicates that that is the case. He is reliable because of his unchanging nature. He is someone in whom we can put all of our confidence because the Bible says in Titus chapter 1 verse 2 that he is the God who cannot and does not lie. Everything he says is truth. Everything he says is right and is just. In Malachi chapter 3 verse 6, the prophet Malachi speaking with the voice of God said, I the Lord do not change. In James chapter 1 verse 17, James was talking about how God blesses. And he said, God has no variation or shadow of turning. You know how the moon has different phases and given on, depending on which night you look up at the moon, there's a different, different shadow there. That's what James was thinking about in James 1.17. He says, God is reliable. He constantly blesses with every good thing and every perfect gift constantly. That's what he's like. He is a God who is unchanging in his nature. In Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27, the psalmist writes, you are the same and your years have no end. He's reliable, he's unchanging. When you're thinking about reasons to give thanks this week, when you're thinking about what you're grateful for, shouldn't we stop and contemplate the God that we serve And shouldn't we stop and contemplate the amazing fact that a God like what we've talked about tonight desperately desires a relationship with us. He wants that so badly. He wants that so much that there was no price he was not willing to pay, even to the gift of his only son. And as we think about what we can be grateful for, we can be grateful that there is an avenue through Jesus Christ and his blood to a relationship with a mighty God, an eternal God, a perfect God, an unchanging God. You can build your life in a relationship with a God like that. It'll change the way you live when you look and gaze at God because we become like what we worship. Whether we think so or not, Whoever we conceive God to be, we're going to become more like that as we worship. We need to have a right and a good understanding of what the Bible reveals about him. Get your songbooks and open the song that Brother Taylor announced just a few moments ago. Maybe you want to make the commitment of becoming a New Testament Christian. Believe, confess, repent, and be baptized. Believe in Jesus Christ, confess his name, repent of your sin, be immersed in water. When we're baptized, we participate in what the Bible calls the new birth. We put on Christ, Galatians 3 verse 27, and we come into a relationship with the mighty God of heaven and his son, Jesus Christ. If you're ready to make that commitment this evening, or if you want to respond and ask for prayers, 
Heaven's invitation is yours while together we stand and while we sing.